Okay, if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in James. And we are starting James chapter 4 this morning. So James is almost to the back of the Bible. James, the half-brother of Jesus. And we continue through, this is actually Life in Conflict Part 2. We started Part 1 last week in chapter 3. And in fact, I want to back up to chapter 3 for just a minute and, and, and read a, that very end. It says this, in James chapter 3, 18. It says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love that verse. I don't know about you, I was, I was out last night. Anyone see the sunset? Pretty amazing, huh? The sort of, it was, it's, it's a blue, and we get these reds and violets that go through the clouds that kind of layer out, and you just have this sense of, <sighs> I don't know, can I say peace? I long for peace. I want peace. And in fact, this verse, as we ended last week, kind of says, hey, peace is actually where righteousness gets done. In peace. You peace and you experience peace. And we saw last week there are two kinds of wisdoms, earthly and heavenly wisdom. And heavenly wisdom is Christ and Christ the Prince of Peace. And as we are in Christ and we have peace, we'll be cool. Here's my problem. This is titled Life in Conflict. I don't feel like I have peace a lot. I mean, if if it was just about peace and receiving Jesus, and now we have peace all the time, and I have peace, then why why is man since I have had a professional life as a physician and as a as a pastor, much of what I do is called counseling. Why do we need counseling as Christians? I think it's because we have conflict. Why is most of the counseling I get to do, and I love it, I praise God that I get to, it's what I love to do, but most of the people that we do pastoral counseling with, it's around marital counseling. That's because the problem is the conflict with the person who's closest to you. Right? I, I <laughs> let, let me give an example. This is not anyone that you know. In fact, it's but it's drawn from years of doing this. So I have a couple comes into my office and they sit on the couch and I'm sitting here with them and I look, hey, what's what what you know what, what are you after? And he says, well, the the man says is she spends all our money. I every every money every I earn it. I work. I work hard all day. I come home and then I look at the checking account and the money is gone. She just spends it. We have a budget. I've told her what to do and she, she won't. She, she won't follow it. She just Spend stuff. This woman I'm married to. The gal looks back and she says, can you believe this man? He won't even like help our kids do stuff. He won't, won't help them. go. He, we've got to use our money for good things here. And he's, he's squirreling. And in fact, you know what he did? He took his, his paycheck and he put it in a separate bank account. He's hiding it from the family. Pastor, do something. What's going on? They come in and they ask the pastor, me, to be the judge, to decide who's right to win the battle of their conflict. Conflict. You can say, well, that's, that's not me. I, I would, I would not be that way. I, I live a, a life of, pi of peace, of quietness, of rightness, of just rightness with God all the time. And I flow and, 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 and I'm the picture of, no, actually, I, I don't think that's really true if you really look at your life. All of us have tensions, right? Don't you have tensions in your life? With th Think of your relatives. Think of people close to you. Think of your kids. Think of your parents. Think of everyone around you. And are you just at peace all the time? And if you are, relax. 
message isn't for you. I've never met anyone like that. But if you're one of those rare animals that never experiences conflict, I think maybe you're not breeding. But you might be. But, but for most of us, we have trouble right here. I want to be a person of peace, real peace, but I'm in conflict, big conflicts and little conflicts, inside and out. And, and, and I want you to buy into this assumption I'm going to make for you today is that you are in some conflict. It's not a big assumption. Earthly and heavenly and two perspectives, self-oriented, trusting Jesus, life in conflict. What do I do? What do I do with this couple? How would we think about our struggles relationally that, that are, are conflicting? And that's what James actually, in the midst of saying peace is where we're at, he goes directly into conflict. That's, that's where he goes. He says that we're in conflict all the time. And I want to talk to you about it, says James. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So, so right off of saying, hey, I desire peace, I desire this, this, oh, that the, almost the feeling yet looking at the sunset, the vast beauty and rightness of God and all he's done. But, but in relationally, I'm constantly in these frustration moments. Frustrations. That's the quarrels and fights. It doesn't necessarily mean big wars. And, and James makes this point for you and me, and he makes it clearly, and he makes it without explanation too much. He just goes out and says it. The problem is you. Isn't that what he says? What causes quarrels and fights? Is it not this? Your passions, your desires are at war within you. That's helpful for me to know. Here's the cause. The cause of your fights is your desires, your pleasures, your passions. The reason your life doesn't go smoothly, it's because of what you want. This is a big deal. In fact, I'm really sharing with you this morning. If you would take that in and make it part of how you think about you, the, mic, the amount of counseling I do might go down. Because the reality is, almost everyone that comes in that wants counsel, um, has a reason, and the first reason usually that they want counsel is that their circumstances aren't what they should be. The problem is that thing out there. If I could just change that thing out there, my life would be better. If I could just get a spouse, a job, um, if I could get over the physical thing that I have, if I could get something outside of me, see my circumstances, that person out there that's afflicting me, the problem is that thing out there, it's not me. And James says, wait a minute, the problem is you. It, it certainly happens, but rare is the person who comes in and says, hey, pastor, the pastor, the problem's me. Almost always it's, I'm having this struggle, but that thing. And then not only the thing, relationally is really what we're talking about today. So it's the person, and a couple never comes in with the, the, the one person says, you know, the problem's all me. Everybody comes in and says, what I want you to do, pastor, is to fix that person. And that person's going, what I want, pastor, is for you to fix that person. And the, the counseling you're doing is to mediate between two positions of conflict where we have positions and, 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 and things weighted out and saying the wrong is mostly, nobody says, in fact, it's almost a point of pride with the pastor, you don't say you're perfect. I'm not perfect, but can you believe what they're doing? That's where we go. That's what we do. So this, 
This first point is all of those things might be true. You might have terrible circumstances outside of you. You might have very difficult things you're walking through. You might have hard pieces of your life. I, I, I'm, I, I know we all are afflicted in many ways. But James says your conflict comes from these passions that are inside of you. What causes your lack of peace is you want to control that. Mostly it comes out with we just want our fair share. We want fair treatment as defined by me, and that's power, control, self-regard, your own pleasures, your own passions, whatever that is. And, and you might say to me, you might say, Dax, I don't really care about power. That's not my thing. My desires aren't really for me. I just want a reasonable life. You know, I just want spouses and kids. I just want things normal. It was shocking to me when I went to Africa. I've been to Africa a bunch, but one time we went to Africa and we went out into the into the bush and we the bushes. There's no electricity. It's 120 degrees. It's it's dirty in a way I can't describe. You're breathing heat and dust. It's the edge of the Sahara Desert is where we would go. And we drove up to this little hut and and we got out and right away something was wrong. Our medical stuff just goes because it smelled strongly of urine. You know that it's a it's a tangy smell. And so we got out and we walked in and indeed there was a man in the hut and he was he smelled strongly of urine. Um, and you know the hut. I mean you're talking about now instead of it being outside at least you can see the sky. Now it's 120 degrees and inside and you little tiny and you're just claustrophobic and I wanted to get out. And the translator said this is one of our pastors and he was a pastor 50 years ago and. He lost his eyesight, so now he can't see. We call him Zeb Naba, he said, because he was a, uh, meant literally garden king, because he had a little plot of ground there, and he, that's how he ate, is that he, he planted little plants there. So he was blind. He couldn't see very well or even move very well, so he smelled. And then, you know, it rains once a, one, once a year. So he's not eating a lot of food from this garden. And the guy just smiled at me. It was amazing, really. My heart would have said, hey, cry out and say, this is not right. Especially not you, rich Westerner who comes in and walks into my, my hut. And you're going to drive away. And in fact, you're going to get on an airplane and fly back to the States. Wow. Right then I said, you know what? I'm never going to say it's about my circumstances. Never say something's hard for me. Look at that, how hard it is for someone else. You know how long that lasted? Less than a day. I forget. I forget. I go back, and I go back, and so I go back, and I tell that story. I say, yeah, 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 oh, we are so privileged. And I think, okay, I'm going to fight hard to not have conflict. And then my wife and I have a fight. And then my attention with my parents. Boy, my kids are acting out. I'm back in conflict. Why, why, why everyone does know if it's all outside of me? See, the problem is not outside of me. The problem is me. I constantly have this pull. The problem is you, and James even gets stronger. He doesn't stay soft. He gets harder. He says, hey, you, you. He's talking to Christians, by the way. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to brothers and sisters. He says, you, you desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
first two lines in, in verse 2 are parallel, means they're the same. So, so you say you desire, you don't have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What he's saying is that desire and not having is the same as coveting and not obtaining, and murder is the same as fighting and quarreling. Because you might say, I don't murder. But I'll tell you what, you get angry. Hey, I remember somewhere, I think it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You who say you're angry with your brother, you're killing them. And here James reflects that. He just says, hey, what you have is you have these desires in you, and they won't go away, and you covet. What, what is coveting? I want something someone else has, and I don't have it. Tracks back to our original condition, right? Tracks all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis there, chapter 3, chapter 4, when you get Cain and Abel, and Cain's so upset that his brother got approved and not him. What does he do? He goes and he kills him. You want to show this is true? Don't do this. Take two middle school kids. Sorry if you're a middle school kid. And you start talking up how cool iPads are. How amazing. Especially if they don't have them. They don't have them. You just start talking up. How amazing updates your kids Awesome, fantastic, iPads are the best, they're so cool, they do so many awesome things. And So you get their desires set on that, so you know they both want one. And then you give one to one of them, just one. Here, this thing that you long for, you're giving it to you, and walk away. Isn't that cruel? Isn't it cruel that you, 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 you spurred a desire in someone and you didn't fulfill it, and you gave it to someone who was next to them? And they're going to be playing with it. Guess what won't happen in, in, in 99 times out of 100? There won't be the one person who didn't get it. It's all like, oh, no no problem. What? I know this is true because it happens in my family. How could you do such a thing as to give to one and not the other? The exact same things we desire. It's the same for us as we get older. We just hide it better. You hide it better. But you look around and God gives all of us different things. And God gives things that we even want. I, I, I want, I, I, I want something I don't have it. I, 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 I want a son. My associate pastor's having a son. Isn't that awesome? I want a son. Lord, you give me a son. Well, what? See what I did? Just in two seconds, I turned it back to, from the yay, yay, back to, That's a, that's a little thing. That's, that's, I, don't, I don't even feel that. I, but, but we do. We look around us and we do it with money. We do it with stuff. We do it with things. We do it with relationships. We do it with seeming ease. As someone has ease in their life and no physical problems and other people are struggling. Somebody gets cancer and it's terrible and hard and someone else doesn't. And, and so we try and figure it out by, 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 by push, pushing blame on it. Like one person, they ate right and the other person didn't. So cancer came and it's on their fault, you know, because otherwise God would not give someone. But, but, but the reality is God knows. If it was your kids, and if it was my kids, and I did that to them with the iPad, and gave one the iPad and not the other, what hasn't changed one whit? I'll tell you what hasn't changed one whit. My love for my kids. Right? They don't value that. They want the iPad. <laughs> That's the deal. That's what we're looking at. And isn't that what James is getting at? And 
And James is describing the human condition, but he's, he's talking to Christians. So we are caught in the human conditions, having these desires and not getting them. Temporal desires, maybe good things. And what happens when we don't get what we think we should in the context of a community or relationships, especially people who are close to us, and they, we, we want them to do certain things and they don't do it. And, and, and so he says it's not just this, we're not dependent and happy on, on what the Lord gives us. And it's not just that we have these desires. It's that we think we got to get them. And so we don't even ask God for them, James says. <laughs> you, you don't even ask. You don't even think about your Father in heaven. You just go for the thing you want. And, and then sometimes you ask, but, but you ask just so you can fulfill this pleasure center that you have. You just want for you. And so you're using God kind of like a, I don't know, a vending machine. I'll put in four prayers and you give me what I want. This this is not speaking to every reason why we don't get the prayers answered that we want answered. That's not what James is after. James is saying the problem is your desires. You have these things. This is hard for me to hear, but it's out of whack. And and then I get these strange things. I just got to have and I got to have them. And it's like winning the Boston Marathon. Did you read about that? I don't know. It was a little while ago now. But it's like somebody wanted to win the Boston Marathon so strongly that they jumped on the subway. I just got to win. I'm going to find a way to win. And the ends justify the means. I'm going to get to what I want. So they jump on the subway and they cut ahead of everybody. And they found out by checking the subway tickets or something that the person had jumped on the subway to get ahead of everyone in the marathon. I didn't even know the subway went that fast. That's where we go in our hearts sometimes. James. He's diagnosing why our marriages are tense, why our relationships falter, why conflict is in our life instead of beautiful peace. And the problem is inside and mean, and we focus on ourselves. But to a greater and lesser degree, we do that without even thinking of the Lord. Or if we do think of the Lord, we think of the Lord as a adjunct to get to where I, I really think that I should be. This is a deep problem. It's why my life is in conflict. And it's not just about my desire. That's the first thing. It's a problem. It's about where that desire leads. That's, that's what he talks about. Because we're on two paths. These two paths, earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And, and, and he's going to do the same thing with friend of the world or friend of God. I think. There we go. You adulterous people, James writes. This is another one of those really fun passages that make me so happy to be in church and read this morning. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? Okay, so... James is really not happy. And he's speaking to us, and he, he says literally, adulteresses! I know the ladies in our church are going through the Hosea right now, and this is reflective of that, Hosea marrying a prostitute. It's God speaking to, to, to Hosea, saying, yeah, this is representative of my people. And James now turns and he points to the, the church. Go ahead and feel it. It's not you are all adulterers. James says, you adulteresses. 
That's because you see, there's God and God is in relationship and you act all the time like you're not. You're acting like you're not faithful and trusting God. God loves you like a husband loves his wife with an incredible, unfailing, unbendable love. And we act a lot like, like we don't even think it's true. And so what James is saying, what James is saying is that you're trying to stay on both paths, right? You're trying to keep a foot in the friendship with the world path and a foot in the friendship with God path. And James says it's not going to work. As a Christian, you know, sometimes I try to continue to stay on the path of me. I have desires and I go about getting them handled on my own. And I use God as my, as my helper to get me to the spot that I think I want to be. And it's very much about me and, and this whole part of focus on me, what was called earthly wisdom last week. Here's friendship with the world. I don't depend on God. I manipulate God. Who's in control? I am. I decide what I want. And uh, boy, I'll get there. It's not just food and drink. It's whatever pleases my heart. I feel like sometimes we don't open our eyes enough to how we actually live. I'm like this. You know, I, I, if you're like me, you're busy. You get up in the morning. You take care of the kids. You run around. You run to work. You work hard. You come home. You're tired. You do the things you need to do to take care of the dog and clean the house. You, you, you spend a little time with your wife and you go to bed. And then the next day comes and you do it again. On Sunday, you get to come to church. What a cool thing. Except that pastor, she's talking about adultery. And we forget that we're in a system all the time that pushes us away from the Lord. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the world system. Take money. I'm talking about money, pastor. No. Think about it for a minute. What is it? What is this system of money that we have? Isn't it a way to control your desires? Isn't it a way that we, 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 we are um, in transactions to get the things that we actually want? We use money as what will work. Uh, hey, if you really want a new boat, it's going to take you 35 hours of work over here that you don't want to do, but you're going to do it in order to get the desire that you want, which is your new boat. So if you work hard on that over there, you'll what? Earn your new boat. What's that? I have this passion, you know. I'm going to find out how to do it. How do I do it? You use money. Why? That's how our world works. You and I both have desires, and what we figure out to do is find a utility basket, and we'll, we'll value different things at different, different layers. And if you have the ability to, 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 to obtain my desire, then I'll do the things I can do to obtain your desire, and we'll use a system by which we all get there. We'll call it capitalism or democracy or whatever you want to say it, but it's a system of economic exchange that's based on what? You and I working merit. Isn't it true? It makes sense. I mean, my working to get what I want and it's kind of wisdom and it's of the world. <laughs> then when we looked at last, it's a system of working yourself to get what you want. Isn't that earthly wisdom? Isn't, didn't James call that something? He called it, dare I say, demonic? You get mad at me. I'm not saying it. James is. I think. This is, this is, this is a problem. We, my, my thinking is not God is my everything. My thinking is 
God is my everything, but I need to work to get what I want, what I really want. This is our problem, is our desires, for sure. The fact that I set my heart on the boat instead of the Lord, that's one thing. But the, uh, the, the important thing really is that the means that I use to get there involve not God in, in receiving, but too often involve me and my earning. So the whole thing just reveals how much a friend of the world I am because I have merit-based living. By the way, that doesn't mean God doesn't give people riches. He does. He just doesn't give them to everybody. doesn't mean God doesn't give people health and kids and and, 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 and peaceful life externally and, and interesting situations. Most of us are all benefits of that. We live in America. We have such amazing freedoms. I, I didn't earn a single one of them. But, but I do think James is saying that once you start down this earning system thing that you get after, that you're striving for you, you're figuring out how, and, and the world has figured out a modicum of how in these different systems and things that we do, they're all surrounding merit, they're all surrounding your earning, they're all of it. You're in a merit culture, you're not in a gift culture. So how did we get here, Dex? Because James is saying your desires drive you to attain for yourself, and the way that I attain for myself is I work for it. And I forget, I forget, I forget. I I can say it with my mouth, but then I go right back on the other side of the road, and I say, you know what? If I want something, I figure out a way for me to get it. I forget that everything I have is a You think that's true? Will you consider that it's true from God? Everything you have is a gift. You're living in this, and especially, and most importantly, your connection to God, your relationship with God, the, 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 the interaction you have with God. It's all a gift. Everything you have has been given to you, and you blessing in every moment of every day because you're king, you're God, and he adores you like a, like a dad who loves to bless his kids. And he loves you, and he, he's blessed you with every blessing, and here he goes and he blesses you. We say, wait a minute, he didn't give me that thing. That's okay, God, I'm glad you did all the rest of the stuff, like save me. But I really want a boat. So I'm getting that on my own. If you get a boat, it'll be a gift of God. I'm not saying that the desire is wrong, but the way that we think about and go about the things that we do. James just taking a baseball bat. Because our worth and our value and our identity and our security and our significance... It is, is that given or is it earned? And I think James is saying it, it can't be both. And, and to earn it is to be a friend of the world. And to be given it is to be a friend of God. I, I suppose this morning, I hope what you've done is to begin to see the depth of our problem. It's not this little thing that we sometimes think in Christianity we come to church to get three tips to be a better parent. That's good. There's nothing wrong with being a better parent. You should be the best parent you should be. But it doesn't even touch your problem. It doesn't go beyond an inch deep. So we muck around in that one inch deep shallow waters talking about how we need self-improvement and moral self-sufficiency. And, 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 then, we, <laughs> and then I work hard at it. 
I slipped back into the whole thing about, you know what, I think now I've just shifted the thing where God God wants me to be here, so I'm going to do my best to do that, and, and I rely on me. I think this is what he's saying in verse 5, which is a tough, usually if, if there's a, there's a line that's really hard to understand. It's important. And he says in verse 5, or you dispose it's of no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit he's made to dwell in us. What in the world does that mean? This is the Bible. Yeah, there's like eight ways you can translate that verse. But it's little s is right probably because nowhere else in James does he even mention the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, if you really look at the sentence, I, I think I would say it this way. I think the best translation is like this. Towards envy, the Spirit yearns, the one cause to dwell in us. That's a more literal translation. Let me say it again. Towards envy, the Spirit yearns, the one cause to dwell in us. I think um, you can't find any of this really in the Bible, but I, I think he's in some way reflecting what Paul's going to write in Romans chapter 3. We all sin. It's towards envy that your spirit runs, naturally. We're, we're not people who naturally run away from envy. We run towards envy. That's all James is saying. Is that if I leave you alone sitting there, you, you run towards envy. Your whole spirit goes the wrong way. Here we are. It's just wrong. It's somewhat like what he's done in chapter 3, where he basically said, hey, the tongue, you know this tongue that you guys have. It is terrible. These things ought not be. Okay, next topic. That's what he does. He comes and he says, hey, this, this spirit you have, it goes towards envy. The word there is not a positive word. It's a negative word. It's not God longing to have be more toward us, although that's, I, I suppose, possible in the translation. I just think it doesn't flow very well in the passage. And it's, it's better to think, my spirit, me. I lean towards envy. I want what you have. This is just natural it's terrible, and it's where we live. Strong is this demonic path. Wide is the gate. Caught are many of us. Oh, that you would work on this. No. That, 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 that twists it around exactly. No, no, no. You need something else. There's a fix, you see. There is, there is. There's, there's this thing called Grace. You need it. Because that's where he goes. You see this spirit leans towards envy that you have in you. But but he, this is God, gives more grace. <laughs> Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's a quote of Proverbs 3, 34. The answer is grace, right? More grace. Not, not, not ourselves towards, towards others. Not, not be kinder to your fellow believer. This is what you really need to be. Just work on being kind because that'll solve your problem there if you'll just be kind. It's not with my marriage couple to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, you will stop the bank account and put it back in her account. You will write a budget and we'll write a budget and we'll write it all out and we will fix this problem for you. We do all those things. Guess what it doesn't do? solve anything. They still hate each other. 
This is the thing. We come back to here. There's an actual fix for our lives. You and I are caught. And when we see we're caught, when we, when we see this reality that, you know what? I live in a system all the time that's pushing me away from friendship with God, away from this Father and His perfect love. One of the things I can do is go back to His perfect love. I go back to the cross. I realize that He loves me. I realize that He loves me when I'm a sinner. I realize that He loves me when I mess up. I realize that in my best day, He needs to to, to extend to me the, the, the grace that I need just as well as my worst day. But mostly I come, and, and what this does is that it kills me just like grace has been. James has been doing over and over and over. He has been killing us. And this this then is the answer. More grace. Not, not, not your grace. Not you be graceful. But God's grace covers even this. The answer for my life and the answer for your life and the answer for our self-oriented desires, our wrong thinking and getting there ourselves is to come back and to receive. It's okay for me to say I hope that I hate this. Many times I hate grace. I don't want to receive. I want to give. I want to be strong. I want to be the one who's touching. I want to be the one who's doing. I want to be the one who's working. I mean, I want to be the one who's growing. I want to be the one who's advancing. And then, and, and, and Jason, James says, no, what you need to come back and just receive from God. Receive it. You need to trust that he loves you, sinner. I think in some ways that's the definition for us of humility is that, boy, hey, remember, James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The definition of the Christian is humble. The definition, because what you've done is turn from this system of getting better on yourself and the system of getting there on your own, the system of climbing the ladder, and you've, you've given up. You say, I can't do it. I've got nothing. And you turn, and what it is, that's humility to say, I will receive This isn't, and don't take it, and people do. They say, okay, so what you need to do if you want grace from God, you need to, to acquire the characteristic of humility. And so we, we make that a spiritual thing then that we work on. We're going to work on being humble so that God will give us grace. What am I doing? I'm using the techniques of the world again. That's all I do. So I make humility like this, this weird, like, oh, I am such a worm. I'm the son of a worm. The daughter of a worm. The nephew of a worm. I'm really wormy. I'm so bad all the time. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. And, and what you're trying to do is say, man, man, I'm, I'm going to make my, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you how low I am because really low is good. It's not that kind of low. I've spoken low like you're going to convince me by your many words that you're a worm. That this humility is different, right? It's this abandoning of my, of my, my attaining humility. It's actually abandoning my, my ability to think I am able. And it's turning and saying, hey, I receive from God. And th this is all, anyone who will do this is going to heaven. <laughs> we know that. That's the gospel. But, but somehow we throw it away after conversion. And now we make it about you and me attaining and getting towards these things. And actually, the best example of humility, we did it last week. We'll do it again this week. Because C.S. Lewis, I really like, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I, I, I forget about me. 
I'm caught up in the scene of the, the wonder of the sunset. And I have this, wow, God, you're so amazing to me all the time. Look what I get to see. Not about me advancing, but guess what? That'll cause you to advance if you'll just forget about you and get caught up in your great, amazing God. So the total focus of our life comes down to being awed by God and seeing the depth of us, not using God to fill in some gap, but seeing our whole life as simply a gift. And we saw that this morning in Psalm 73 as as the psalmist struggled with, with the inequality that he was looking at. And he comes back and he says, you know, God, I've made you my refuge. My heart fails, but you're the strength of my heart. I have no strength. You're my portion. He says, I'll find you my refuge. I'll, I'll rest in you. I'll stay here at the cross. This is where I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay. Okay, we need to be done. I just, I want to say this, because you'll say to me this morning, you'll say, okay, Dax, I kind of get this. It's about staying in this understanding, coming back again to the wonder of the grace of God in my life. He gives more grace. I don't understand how it works. Are you telling me I never work at anything? Are you telling me I'm not supposed to earn enough money to eat? Come on, what are you saying? No, I'm not saying any of that. We have to use money. We're in this world. We have desires. I'm saying it's all about your heart. Your life is about your heart. And what I'm hoping you open your eyes to this morning is that we have a serious lack of really understanding the great love of God for you right this minute in your life. If you would grab hold of that, if you would breathe that, it'll, it'll push you towards not seeing your Failures disqualifying you because there's more grace. For my couple there, as they sat in the room of me and they're arguing about those things, the most important thing for each of them was that they, they're not for the other person at all. They don't feel they've been loved by the king so much that they have nothing to fight for. They want to fight for themselves. If instead you'd back up and say, you know, I know, I have been, sinner. That's where I live. And I had to trust in the grace of God. You know what that does? It softens the other person. So they say, you know what? I'm a sinner too. And instead of leaning away and judging and asking the pastor to judge, and I will, I'm a good judger. Won't go well for either one of them. Instead of doing that, you can lean in and you can forget judging Because the one who judged died for you. And he's not there to condemn. He's there to plead that you would drop yourself, that you would see that you're a sinner. The problem is you. And therefore we can lean in because we're all covered by the cross of Christ. This is how we live in community. This is the truth.